And my goal is today, my purpose or my prayer or my hope is that by the end of this message today, you're inspired to build your life or make decision in your life, important decisions of your life, based on this truth. Because here is how to, why I came to this conclusion. Many times I noticed that we as believers, we, we confess our faith in God, but we call it practical or um, functional. We, we can call that we philosophically believe in God. But in, in, in life, day-to-day -day decisions, we operate or function as God doesn't exist. He's not with us. And that's why when you get in trouble, for instance, what do you do first? You do certain things until you run out of options and then you come to God. <laughs> because that's how atheists would do. So that's why we call it functional atheists or practical atheists. We, we philosophically, if you ask you, if I ask you, people say, well, I am a believer. Why? Because, well, my philosophy is as a Christian. Do you believe in God in a way where you base your decision? Your life is actually operating in this realm that God is with you and in you. And Jesus Christ is God. So my, my hope is that by the end of this message, you're inspired to do just that. God is with us. So the point number one is uh, Jesus Christ is fully God. That's a big point. As much as I have time today, we will talk about this, but don't, don't get scared. I have a timer here. <laughs> I'm not going to talk too much because this one point is, is, is a very deep point in general. And then we'll talk about fully man. Is Jesus a God or fully man? And what's the difference does it make to me? And then I will touch one of the most important points based on which my life philosophy is, on, on which my philosophy, life philosophy is grounded, fully sufficient in Christ. With that being said, I am jumping to the base scripture in Matthew 1, 22, 23. There is this um, nativity story, if you will. And um, the angel comes to Joseph and explains to Joseph why he does, because you remember the story, when uh, Mary, mother of Jesus, became pregnant with a child, Joseph, being a decent man, did not want to create a scandal, and he wanted to let her go. And I see Joseph being a very nice guy. I mean, if, if, if I put myself into the Joseph's shoes, I don't know how would I react, knowing that my girl or bride or wife-to-be is pregnant. And she is justifying or explaining this that Holy Spirit came upon her. 
I don't know how I would react. So I look at Joseph and I'm like, what a decent guy. He's like, okay, look, you get, you get pregnant. I'm going to let you go. Although by law, you had to be stoned to death. So I'm going to let, let you go. And the angel shows up and he says, don't do that. And he explains what's happening here. And um, one of the things that transpires here is in this verse. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. Not to a child, just a child, to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God's with us. Now, that's the whole premise for December discussion, God with us. There's a lot of different things is here, but I wanted to, before I move on, speak something against this Middle America, Middle class, American invention. We call it imaginary God. Or we call it imaginary Jesus that doesn't exist. And uh, people sometimes criticize me when I say when some Christians started to explore the questions about God and they realized that this invention, we call it middle-class American Jesus, is real, and they get disillusioned with that beliefs. We say, well, the person lost faith. Do you know what I say? Thank God that they did, because they believed in false Jesus. <laughs> An invention of American dream, middle-class Jesus Christ, smiling, forgiving, loving, and answering all your prayers, prosperity, and blessings, and everything else together. Good God. You do good, you get good. You go to church, bring your tithes, come to service every Sunday, you will be good. Don't and you will get some problems. American invention, nothing. Common in the scripture, in the biblical God. So my point is, when people freaking out, parents are freaking out and say, oh my goodness, my son lost faith. And I said, what kind of faith did they lose? Well, they don't believe in Jesus. What kind of Jesus they don't believe? Well, that, that's good that they lost that faith. It's fake. They need to grow in the realization of a true God that is not a baby Jesus, not a baby God that we sometimes are clinging to. And so, because of this, I like this quote by Gerard Testigin, Testigin actually. He says, a God understood, a God comprehended is not God. All what I'm trying to do is for us 
not to place our faith into a hollow Jesus. That's all I'm trying to say. And because God is big, He's a creator. If you just think about how awesome God is, how great God is, you are staying in awe, realizing that you cannot comprehend with that little gray substance in your brain the awesomeness of God, the Creator. I'm just trying to appeal to you today, folks. Let's not minimize our God into this little nativity stories that you see everywhere today on the streets. It's nice to talk about this, but unfortunately, we need to grow up and have a grown-up vision of God. With that being said, I am moving to this first point, which is fully God. And in Colossians 2, verse 9, Apostle Paul says, For in Christ, because in our days today, the question is, was Jesus fully God? Because at the beginning of the church, in the early times of the church, it was never a question. At the early times of the church, the issue was, was Jesus fully human or a human? People believed that he was just a spirit. And if you just move the hand, you could go through him. That's what people believed. But today, actually, the question is, and if you go to universities, if you go to institutions of higher education, you will always hear this. And even uh, different religions, like you talk to Muslim, they say, well, Jesus was a good guy. He was a prophet, inferior to Muhammad, but he was a good guy, guy but he was not a god. You, you talk to Mormons, for example, they, they also believe that he was a good guy, not, not, not the creator, but, but he became God eventually. You talk to Jehovah Witness, the same thing. They believe that he became a God because of his service and his good nature and stuff. And when I, when I have all these different signals from different people, do you know what uh, Apostle John writes about this situation, and we will come to this uh, later, that people who deny that Jesus Christ came and, in, and dwelt with us in flesh, these people are Antichrist. Because see, in religious circle, Antichrist is always portrayed a person who is fighting Christ. Who told you that? Oh, well, because there is anti in this. And anti means against. Did you, have you ever thought about that Antichrist does not necessarily fight Christ? It just replaces Christ. Put a fake Christ in it. And I believe, that's my personal belief, that the real true Antichrist 
that is going to be operating in the earth at the last days. He's not going to go against the religion. He's going to just be a substitution of Christ. A nice guy who substitutes Christ and render Christ, the true Christ, obsolete. That's the true spirit of Antichrist. But the point is that Jesus, being God, deniable that he was God, came to this earth. earth and uh, the question is, why would he need to be on this earth? And why this point is so important? Jesus is fully God. Well, number one, it's kind of help to understand if Jesus says and he claimed that he was God. And if somebody says that, well, I like teaching of Jesus, but he was not God, but he was a moral teacher, it's a contradiction because he claimed that he was God. He says, I am, I am the Father, is the same. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if I'm trying to claim him being a good moral guy, at best he was delusional, at worst he was a liar. We cannot say that he was a moral teacher if he was actually breaking the moral code of not lying. Unless he is who he is, which is God. But um, one thing that I, that I wanted to share with you today before I move on. Uh, you know this famous atheist, Anthony Flew, who actually turned from atheism uh, at the older age, about 80? He says something to this extent. I think that the most impressive arguments for God's existence are those that are supported by recent scientific discoveries. I think the argument to intelligent design is enormously stronger than what I first met. It. Now, this is why it's all important. When we are saying that Jesus said that he is God, one thing that I need to assume that God exists. And uh, most of you here don't even argue that God exists. But for me, it was a question, a principal question. Does God exist or not? I needed to know. Does God exist or it's just something that comes from one generation to another generation, this faith or worldview that we inherit from the parents? I needed to find out for my own. And that's why this point here that God, Jesus is fully God is answered this question. He says, I am God. If I receive him as a moral teacher, I have to believe him. If there is God and he claims that he's God, therefore God exists. So this one first point gives me answer to this question. Do we even have God? Does God exist? 
And I always say, and you remember that I always say this, the more you go into the science and learn the biology and learn the way how God designed us and awesomeness of our bodies and awesomeness of the creation, you cannot ignore God and intelligent design. That's what this atheist is talking about. He says, look, yes, philosophy is good. I've, I've learned this all, and that's great. However, when, when we have these inventions of DNA and the way how uh, molecular works and, and cell of the body works, it's just incomprehensible that it come by itself together. Good luck with this to explain. Don't get offended, but I will tell you this. Cynicism about faith is lazy. That's all what it is. Lack of inquisition and questioning things produces cynicism. I just don't believe it. Why? Because you don't ask questions. But if you really go deep into the matter, you cannot stand without acknowledging that God exists. I'm not going to argue right now for God's existence. My point is completely different. I just wanted to mention that. So number one, that the fact that Jesus was God, it just corresponds to this question, does God even exist? The second point is this um, point that, that, that Jesus came uh, on the, to the earth and was, like we said, son was given, simply means that uh, he was... He existed before creation. Remember, Jesus says, when the, 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 from the time of Abraham, I am. I was incarnated. I came as a person, as a body, as a flesh to the earth. But I always existed, and I always said that Jesus become a man. He never shed his deity. He acquired his humanity, but he always remained God. Why? So that he could bypass the sin of Adam. And so he could be sin sinless. And there is a reason for it, too. If we, if we talk about Adam right now, remember what Adam did? He grabbed something that was not his to become something that he was not supposed to. That was sin of Adam. Jesus was, is referred in the Bible as second Adam. Why? Because he voluntarily gave that which was his. To get something, the, the, the punishment that he did not deserve. That's the second Adam. That's why he was supposed to be born as God. Now, the other thing is about this uh, divine birth, why it was supposed to be happening, why was he God? Because the punishment of the whole earth was supposed to be on him. And there is no human that could actually carry that curse of all the things of the humanity. And that's why Jesus was supposed to be 
fully divine. But the thing is, like C.S. Lewis says, when you beget something, you beget it after your own kind. That's what the Bible says, that Jesus was begotten Son. God gave birth, or God was born through the baby in this earth so that we can have God with us. Like, for example, uh, I can have a lot of kids around that look like me, but only my son, who is begotten of me, will be actually carrying my, my, my genes, who I am. My wife always laughs and she says, well, Daniel looks like you, except for my hair, he's just like you. He has your feet, he has this, yeah, because he's begotten of me, what do you want? Now, Jesus was begotten of God. And if you, I don't want to go into this theological discussion, but basically we say that he had divine nature or essence. He was God, fully God. And that was very important for him to be God. Now, Anselm of Canterbury says once, but the depth was so great, that's about him, why he needed to be a, a, a fully divine or fully God. was so great that while man alone owed it, only God could pay it. So that the same person must be both man and God. That it was necessary for God to take manhood into the unity of his person, so that he, who in his own nature ought to pay and could, not sh and could not, should be in a person who could. So this divine nature of Christ, a child that was born through the virgin birth, and that's another thing that people doubt today, well, virgin birth, how can it even happen? Well, because that was God's plan, that's essential, plan of salvation, and you cannot deny it. You know what, Pastor Oleg, I can believe everything that you're saying, and Jesus was a very nice teacher and everything, but divine birth today in 24th century? And it happens, I just, I just want to kind of take a little uh, parenthesis here. Um, what happens is, and I know a story, a professor once sociology professor in university. At the first class, he gathered all the students, you know, 30 people or so, and he says, who are you are Christians? Raise your hands. And a bunch of people raised hands, Christians, whoever, group, denomination. And the professor looked at them, and he says, I give you today a chance to leave my class. Because I guarantee you that by the end of this semester, none of you will be Christians. <laughs> Why? Because that's what we experience today. We have this, this skepticism. We have people who are having something against God, some bitterness against religion, 
some dissatisfaction inside, and I've seen these professors and I've seen these educators, instead of educate and provide information, they have this, they feel this obligation to brainwash not stable people, young people, into their ideology. I guarantee that you would not be a Christian. So that's why sometimes when we talk about virgin birth, people are like, do you believe it? Really? 21st century? And that's exactly what we believe. And the time has come that we need to turn the table and say, yes, this is what it is. God came in flesh. And that's why we celebrate what we celebrate Christmas today. Not because of your boxes and your, and your Christmas tree. God came to earth in flesh. And that experience was so, so extraordinary. That's why we are celebrating it today. God is, Jesus was fully God. The second point, really quickly, is that he was fully man. Now, why, why, why is this important? Why John, in his letter, says that these people who teach that Jesus did not have a body and was not fully man like us, are considered to be antichrist. And not only that, but also he says, don't even let them inside your house. Like, if Jehovah Witness come to my home, the Bible says, don't even let them inside the house. Because they re reject the divinity, Jesus Christ in flesh. And... Um, in Hebrew 2.17, Apostle Paul gives you this picture. For this reason, and this is the reason he, he mentions this, he had to be made like them, like people, fully human. And I want to highlight this word, fully human, because people don't understand it. And I, I, I will tell you honestly how many times I talk to sincere Christians, believers, and they don't get it. They said, what are you saying? Are you, are you really claiming that Jesus was just like me? Don't you, don't you understand that he had something extra to this so that he was able to overcome everything that was going his way? I just mentioned, yes, he was fully divine, but he, when he was on earth, he chose to be a human and he chose to function as human. Why? Listen. Fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. A human, a human, was supposed to be sacrificed. God cannot sacrifice for a guilty person, which was a human person, human being. 
a human being need to be sacrificed and a perfect sinless human being for that matter but also apostle Paul alludes to the point that because Jesus Christ was fully human, and I just want you to, to think about this, listen. The reason why I can come to Jesus and relate my experiences to Him and not be afraid, because the Bible says that He experienced all the temptation, and you say, well, Pastor Oleg, what about sexual temptation? Yes, He was experiencing that. What about Temptation to be angry, yes, because he was, he had human soul, human emotions. Well, what about, did he experience being tired and exhausted like I do all the time? Yes, because he had human body. Did he experience doubts, maybe, like I do? You bet you he did because he had human mind. Now that's what, and, and I wanted to kind of paint a picture a little bit before I move on. Um, this is actually one of the things that really blesses me, and I will tell you why. Because see, in, in, uh, in, in, in the, in the Christian, Christian, uh, Christian church, we somehow always believed rightfully so, that the human body is radically sinful. <laughs> and that's true. And, and the funny thing is, if you can just listen to me, an interesting point. Did you know that in Ju Ju Judaism, human by, uh, uh, body is not considered to be radically sinful? Have you ever read letters of Anne Frank? You read it? It's, it's actually in school, in a program, in a school. And have you uh, noticed that she um, writes something to the extent that, uh, yes, among all these deaths and horrors and problems, humans still are good somewhere deep inside. That's what Judaism teaches. Judaism teaches that, well, th th this is the... 100% Judaism kind of a perspective. You have two dogs inside, black and white. That's why I don't like this kind of a analogy in churches. And people sometimes in Sunday school, they, well, there is a black dog and there is a white dog. Whoever dog you, you feed, that dog is going to prevail. That's not Christianity. That's Judaism for you. And so they believe that, yeah, yeah, we, we sometimes can do bad things, but we are, and that's why if you go to some, some teachers who are basically influenced by Judaism philosophy, you will see, you, do you know that in, in America we have uh, a lot of influences? We have Christian influence, we have Judaism, and we have other influences. And this Judaism, in, in politics even, believes that we are all good. And people don't know where it comes from. People say, well, that's Demo Democrats. They believe that there is no sin and problem with sin. It's not Democrats. It's Judaism that influences Democrats, for instance. And that's why we believe that, well, we're all good. It's just that we have problem. If you feed 
people normally. If you put them in right environment when they grew up, if you provide them for all they need, they would be nice. Good luck to that philosophy. It's not going to work because we have sinful nature. That's what we believe. But coming back to my point here, Jesus, come, the, the, the God, God the Creator, and the Bible says that He created, everything was created by Him and for Him. He came to this earth to dwell in a body like mine. Do you know what that shows me? That my body is a great blessing. That's why I don't subscribe to, to asceticisms. That's why I don't subscribe in this philosophy that, well, only spirit is good. Maybe soul a little bit, but the body is bad. That's wrong. And we teach that from the biblical perspective, your spirit is glorious, your soul is glorious, and your body is glorious the way how God created. We have a problem of sin, which is a radical problem, that is taken care of in Christ. And Christ right now lives in me the hope of glory. So the fact that God chose to dwell in me, to use the mind like mine. Because, okay, let me just give you this illustration. Think about this. God placed a human being on the earth, empty earth, filled with resources. And then, sometime after, you look around and you see bridges, you see factories, you see uh, satellites. Somebody is flying to the moon. You see nuclear reaction uh, reactors. You see network, internet, video production, camera. Who, who designed that? Who created this? Human being. That's glorious. God lived with us in the body just like mine because we are capable of awesome things. That's why he was a fully man. If you can only understand that, Jesus was awesome being on this earth, being a fully man for us to know that in Christ we can be awesome. We can be just awesome. Now, remember this story before I... Um, before I wrap it up, the reason why Jesus needed to be a fully man, yes, to show an example and awesomeness of God's creation, yes, to be an atonement for us so that he can pay the sin, but also the Bible says that he conquered death. And many times I talk to my kids and they said, Dad, Dad, do you, are you afraid of this? We have coyotes coming to our ba backyard in the night. And it's a scary thing. It's like a bunch of devils coming and screaming in the backyard in the night. Really scary. I don't know if you ever heard coyotes. It's like coming from hell kind of a thing. And I'm like, no, I'm not afraid. I can go to, and what about the bear? Because there is a bear living there. Yes, no, I'm not afraid. 
What if there is a den of, of coyotes over there? I'm not afraid. We'll fight them. And, and the thing is, and I'll tell you why. See, the Bible says that when Jesus came here, he conquered us. And we are not afraid of death any, anymore, any longer. And that's the picture of David and Goliath. Jesus conquered the death. Because Goliath is an image of the enemy and the death screaming and, and intimidating and harassing God's people. And then, out of nowhere, David comes. Because he was not supposed to be there. He was not among the brothers. And he came to the field, and he says, I'm going to fight the Goliath. And the Bible shows the picture that he fought the death. In fact, he came into the area of hell, and he conquered the death. And he came out of that victory. We are not afraid of death. Paul says, death, where is We are not afraid of death because Jesus, our David, who conquered that which was harassing people at the very beginning of times. Jesus comes as a human, fully human being to conquer the death. That's the last point. But before I move on, the, the Catholic scholar, Bible scholar, says, uh, Michael Gately, he says, we can, we can be amazed at man not only because he is a person, not only because he's made in the image of God, but also because by the incarnation, human nature itself has been raised to a divine dignity. And that's why, my friend, I never would subscribe to this idea that we are social animals. That's why I will never subscribe to the, subscribe to the evolution. I think evolution is just the aberration of mind. I'm sorry to tell you that. Why? Because this what shows you or gives you dignity. You know who fully believe in, in, in stuff like evolution, who was inspired actually, or eugenics, who is actually coming from evolution? Hitler and his doctors who were experimenting on human beings to devise a new superhuman being, who were castrating boys, who were putting people in Siberia in the freezing temperature to see how long the person can stand in the freezing temperature, who would inject chemicals in the veins to see how this chemical or this would influence the body with, with terrible results. Why? Because there is no value in these people. We are all just product of evolution. There is no value in human life. There is no reason if the person lives or not. There is not even morality for that sake. 
Whereas if we, if we are product and we call it cosmic dust, if we just a product of, of this evolution, something happened, a big bang happened, we never discuss who did the bang, who was, who was doing the banking. We just talk about big bang. And how did it happen? Well, it just happened. And then it started to evolve and the, and the lightning hit the, the gases and when the lightning hit the gases, the life begins. Do you really believe in that, that stuff? Come on! But then, if you do believe that you're just cosmic dust, the issue is morality is no longer an issue. I can love the way how we know it becomes just self-surfing idea of survival of the fittest. I don't need to give, I don't need to sacrifice anymore because the more I take and absorb, I am the fittest. No, I don't subscribe to that because evolution not just Absurd idea, but inherently immoral. And uh, one that put people in this realm of subjective morality. I can define for myself what is good, what is bad, what is moral, what is not. If I need to kill these people for the sake of the humanity or to invent the better type of people I can. This, my friend, the fact that Jesus, God, divine nature, lived in the body like mine, gives me or inspires me to live like Jesus. That's why I said, take care of your body. Eat stuff that is good, exercise, don't neglect your body, it's glorious. Jesus lived in a body just like that. And I'm finishing up with this, pretty much I'm done, but this is my, like I promise, philosophy of life. And let me just give it to you, it's in that box, in Christ. I have nothing to hide. I am sufficient and uh, my sins have been forgiven. I don't have to pretend. Well, we know that we are all affected by sin. And our psyche was, was, was distorted. And we are in some level broken individuals. I, I know it. You don't have to tell me. Don't come to me and say, well, Oleg, you know what? You, you, you have such and such a deviation. I know more than you about my deviation. You don't have to tell me that. <laughs> I already know it. That's why I don't hide anything. There is no reason to hide. Why? Because Jesus, number one, paid for my sin Number two, healed my brokenness. And number three, corrected my deviation. I'm fine in Jesus. I don't even have to be advocate of my brokenness to say, well, you know what? I am broken because my parents, they didn't love me the way they were supposed to love me. 
I don't do it. It doesn't matter. I am standing today in front of you because of Christ. And in Christ, I have nothing to hide, nothing to prove. That's another point. Who of you live with this subconscious, subliminal idea of not enough? You never receive a validation from your parents or your friends or whoever. And you always try to prove to, to, to your achievements or your perfection, perfectionism or anything else that you are somebody or something in your life. In Christ, I am nothing to prove. I am enough in Christ. If you only receive this this revelation that will set you free. You don't have to live double life. You don't always have to overperform and try to be somebody else. You just look at people with open face. I am who I am in Christ. Hallelujah. Praise God. Nothing to prove. Nothing to fear. That's another thing that people experience all the time, especially in these developed countries. There's a lot, there is a lot of fears, a lot of anxieties. Oh my goodness, who is going to be a president? Oh my gosh, what's going to happen with the economy? I don't understand what's happening with the real estate market. What's going to happen with my retirement plan? I don't know what's going to happen with this stage of my life. I don't understand what's happening with my children, with my wife, with my spouse. I am afraid. I am experiencing anxiety. In Christ, I am sufficient and nothing to lose. That's another thing, actually, corresponds to the previous one. There's nothing to lose in Christ. You cannot take, well, the, 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 the worst thing that you can do is to take my life, which, according to Apostle Paul, is actually a gain. Nothing to lose. That's why we don't have fears. That's why we... We don't, sometimes I remember when we first bought this building, it was very creepy. Right now it's all pretty much almost done, but when we first bought it, it was so creepy here, and a lot of demons were, were, were moving here. And I remember staying here alone after hours, in the dark hours, nobody was here, and sometimes I would just work over there in the office. And it was actually kind of creepy, and people would come and say, aren't you afraid? And I'm like, actually, <laughs> no. I'm not afraid. Now, here is what the uh, Bible says. Listen. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And Christ, you. I want you to, to settle this. Or, or grasp this idea, you have been brought to fullness in Christ. Oh, I thought that I have to actually perform, 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 and then impress people. And maybe somebody could give me a validation and say, you know what, you are enough. The reason why I'm focusing on this enough thing, I'll tell you why. Because I grew up in the big family. And in the big family, you know, sometimes parents are busy. Not all big families, but in my big families. 
because my parents were so busy all the time, working, 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 and I was actually given to myself. I, I, I never knew what it is to have parents. I grew up pretty much like almost like an orphan. Don't judge my parents. Don't criticize them because they went through the horrible life. But the reality is that I never knew what it, what it is to have parents saying, oh, you have good grades. Oh, you need new clothes. Oh, you have a problem in the school. I never knew that. I didn't know that that exists. When I grew up, I realized that actually that exists. That parents sometimes actually involved with the life of a son or a daughter. And you know what it does? I learned what it does is it creates this subconscious imprint, almost like on the biological level, that you're not enough. Nobody is interested in you. Nobody wants you. You're not important. And I, and I already knew that this is not true, and I know my parents love me, and I know, I know, I know, I know. But what do you do with the imprint that comes to you every time there is an opportunity? And, and I mentioned before, and people might criticize me for this, for this abandonment complex, when people have or live with this abandonment complex, when they cling to people or have this codependent relationship because they just cannot tolerate you living. And, and sometimes we have to come to conclusion that yes, we all to a certain degree suffer from this because there is no perfect parents out there. But there is a solution. Jesus was enough. Remember Jesus having a big church and people or more. When Jesus was preaching and when he, when he was preaching, it was so unconventional. He says that people needed to drink his blood and people needed to eat his flesh. It was so weird. It was so out of ordinary that majority of his church said, you know what? We cannot take it. We cannot tolerate. He is crazy. How else could you explain that kind of a message? I put myself into this position. And I find myself that what I would do I would probably run after these people and say, Hey, don't leave me! Don't leave me! Why? Because I need you in the church. Somebody has to do shitrack. Somebody has to do lighting. Somebody has to do floors. And somebody has to pay the tithes. Please stay in the church. That's abandonment complexes. Now I am coming back to Jesus and I'm trying to see, Jesus, how is it that you work sufficient affect your functionality. Oh, that's how he comes to his remaining 12. And what does he do? 
Does he say, you got to write a commitment letter that you're going to stay with me for three years or else? No, what he says is, what he says is, he says, what did he say? What did Jesus say in this situation? Dire, dire situation. He says, do, do you want to live too? Jesus, I don't understand. Don't you realize that your church is falling apart? You failed like a, as, a, as a rabbi, as a teacher, as a leader, as a pastor. You failed. Don't you want to live? Why? Because I am sufficient. I am fine. I am enough. But then, sometime after, sometime after, Jesus is praying in the garden. And his disciple left him and, and they fell to sleep. And Jesus says, Father, why did you leave me? I did not mind when my followers left me because me and you are together and I felt sufficient. But let them believe. They don't understand. I didn't mind when people were trying to stone me. When I revealed the truth that I am the Son of God, I didn't mind. I didn't even mind when I didn't have anything to eat. Or I was tired. Or I was exhausted. I even went through the period when I lost the people whom I loved and I grieved. Yes, and I also grieved because this city that I came to save rejected me. I, I came through all these experiences. But today, God, why did you leave me? Why did you leave me? And the angels came and the Son of God carry out his mission. Brothers and sisters, before we have this symbols of body and blood of Jesus Christ that attest 
to the fact that He is with us. I want you to consider this tremendous truth that you are enough in Christ. Maybe your parents did not give you the attention that you desired. Maybe your environment was not conducive to healthy development. I don't know. Maybe you have some sort of deficiency. Because it's easy when you are well-rounded, well-spoken, intelligent, and your emotions are stable. It's easy. But what do you do when your mind is filled with demons? What do you do when your soul is broken? You understand everything with your mind, but your soul is broken. Something broke your heart. What do you do? And the answer is, we are sufficient. 